This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. these books i thought i'd take some light reading in case i got bored welcome everyone to trek fm's dedicated books and comic show i am one of the hosts matthew rushing and with me as he is always your friend and mine dan gunther hey matthew how's it going today Man, it's great. Um, but I'm I'm noticing that the news studio is looking uh a little bit bigger these days. Uh, uh, did we recently remodel that the Property Brothers come in or something? <laughs> I don't know what's going on. It, it seems a little crowded in here. I I don't. I, is there no? Wait, who is that over there? Hey, you. What are you doing here? Oh, you know, just kind of hanging out, making this place look really cool. Oh, that's that's what you're doing. Okay, at least that's what you think you're doing. Hey, Bruce, how's it going, man? <laughs> hey, I'm doing really cool today. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here, as always, because I love talking Star Trek comics and novels, but I think it's primarily comics on this episode. Yeah, we're going to be talking a lot of comics, uh, that's for sure. Uh, we've got some, some comics and news, um, but uh, actually, you know, before we hit that... We've got a whole new inside look into that travel guide of Vulcan by our good friend Dayton Ward that's going to be coming out. StarTrek.com gave us a really good look at the inside of this, and I, I kind of wanted to know what you guys are thinking. Well, I'm really digging this. I, I love this idea, first of all, of you know the kind of uh, fictional real world stuff and you know these glimpses they've given us here showing us some of the sample pages just absolutely gorgeous and looks really really cool uh I, i've done a lot of traveling over the last few years so i have a shelf that has a bunch of different travel guides on the shelf and i just really like the idea of kind of sticking this in among them and seeing who notices yeah that's funny actually <laughs> Yeah, the guests come over and they go, oh, wow, Dan, where have you been? And they start looking through, wait, Vulcan, where's that? <laughs> uh, it's just on the other side of, yeah, never mind, it's too far. And actually, to now um, that I think about it, it has the potential to backfire because there is a small town in Alberta, the province I live in, named Vulcan. So that's true. <laughs> could be the world's that's true. most boring when... travel guide. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and well, don't they have that brewery though? They do, yeah, and uh... which their beer is actually pretty decent. I've had, you know, um, some Vulcan ale, so mm -hmm. and a really cool uh, Star Trek convention every year as well. So yeah, so I mean, I I think that's worth having a travel guide over. But I like this uh, idea because. You know, when you think of um, the companion guides and things like that that we've gotten uh, in recent years, uh, we got the visual dictionary for Star Trek, which is really fun. And I kind of like the way in which you can use this kind of ancillary material to tell you some things about, say, like Vulcan that you just might not get anywhere else. And, um, I mean, I don't know if this is considered canon or not. But, I mean, the idea of kind of giving us an a thought and then an actual look at what Vulcan looks like is pretty fascinating to me. So, I, I mean... I mean, even the map here that they have, I think, is is pretty cool mm -hmm. uh, of Shakar, the city, and things like that. So, uh, to me, this is pretty awesome. Well, I think of, like, how many times the authors have said things like they use the Star Trek Star Charts book as reference when they're writing novels. Well, this is just one more thing that, you know, a writer can slip in some references to and 
you know, if they if they want to have a character walking around the capital city of Vulcan, you know, they could pick out a few kind of locales they could be at and really tie it in like that. I think that's really cool. Yeah, I think it would be cool to see uh, other authors borrow from this, get some ideas to put in their books. And then if we're able to pick those out, that would be really uh, fun to see uh, these ideas that Dayton comes up with Vulcan and puts it in here and see it in other material. And at the same time, the fact that Dayton has written this, I, my first impression of this was to get that in-depth look at Vulcan and things about Vulcan we'd never heard about or, or never seen before. But then when I realized Dayton wrote it, I thought there's going to be little fun things in here. Like it wouldn't surprise me if there's maybe some type of amusement park or, or beachfront area or something to that. So I have a feeling it'll be both fun and a little bit interesting bits that add to canon. Well, you speak of beachfront and there's Lake Urine which I, I love. I, I'm just wondering how much does, uh, you know, beachfront property cost on Vulcan? Because <laughs> Lake Huron looks really nice. Yeah, and how do you uh, dress? What's appropriate beachwear on this lake for, on Vulcan? Is it very conservative? Can you wear a bikini? Can you, you know, wear bathing suits out there? Bermuda it's shorts little... are not logical. <laughs> uh, that's, see, uh, maybe, you know, I'm thinking honestly that Vulcan's to get to the beach logically they just don't probably wear anything because it's logical you're going to be in the water you're going to be out of the water you just you know so to them it's completely logical i that's just my thought process so um apparently all nude beaches on vulcan i've never thought about nude vulcans walking around that's quite interesting here matthew (laughs) (laughs) interesting visual i'm just i'm just saying it sounds logical to me uh, that That you know just doesn't go away though (laughs) yeah yeah well i mean they have those terry cloth robes you know i mean spock had that really nice one in when um, we get in Star Trek Four, you know he wears throughout pretty much the in, the entire movie, uh, except for when he's swimming with the whales. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I don't know, I, but I love this idea, and I think it's so fun. We'll put in the show notes so you can link to it, so you can check it out at StarTrek.com. And I'm really excited uh, to to get a chance to look at this. So I think it's going to be a lot of fun, and uh, it really measures the same size as all those kind of travel guides. And right now, I mean, it's it's running on Amazon at uh, about well, you can get it on Amazon for twelve eighty one right now. So that's a keeper right there. Oh, definitely. This one, um, you know, I have to say, is definitely going into my collection. So the next thing we've got is a huge announcement from Eagle Moss. Now, everybody, I think, knows about Eagle Moss doing the official Starships collection, which it's fantastic. I have some of them sitting right here next to me. I can't wait for my uh, NX-01 refit to show up soon. So I, I love the stuff that they do, but now they're moving into a completely new genre, new thing. What, what are they going to be doing, Dan? Well, this is actually pretty cool. Uh, they're putting together the Star Trek graphics, graphic novel collection. And uh, so what they're going to be doing fortnightly, just like the Starships collection, uh, that's every two weeks for those of us not in the UK, um, they're going to be releasing different uh, graphic novels from throughout most of the library of Star Trek comics over the years. So that's including, you know, some of the more obscure ones that we've talked about, like the Gold Key comics, uh, everything up to and including like really obscure stuff like the Tokyo Pop issues and then you know the more mainstream mainstream stuff like DC Marvel and the current IDW run uh so this is pretty cool you know if if you haven't seen these comics or don't already have them this is a really cool way to get a lot of these old stories and uh add them to your collection it is a really cool idea the first four that they're going to be doing are countdown city on the edge of forever hive and spock reflections and now the uh the first two if you do subscribe are uh one pound per issue which is a pretty good deal um and then after that the third and subsequent issues are going to be uh about 10.99 I think it was in pounds which uh, for those of us here in the states is about $16. Um, now these are hardcover reprints which and they come in a a brand new case that 
uh, again, it's hardcover, and actually when you put all the spines together, they kind of like do that thing that the original movie series did on VHS where they make this nice Enterprise picture. So this is this is really, really nice. And uh, Bruce, they've got some extras there that uh, I think we all want to get our hands on. Yes, there are some extras in here. So I'm looking at free, that's the key word in this, free bookends. I see the storage tins with 12 movie posters, the tin plate cover designs, and a lapel pin. So that's four different items that you get with this set of books. Not only do these books will look great on your shelf, you got a bunch of bonus extras as part of it. I, I love those bookends. Oh, I don't know about you, Dan, yeah, but no, they're I mean, awesome. <laughs> if I could get nothing else from this, it would be those bookends because those are absolutely gorgeous. And you just know they're using that to, to get people to, to oh, subscribe yeah. here because, yeah, they're oh, yeah. pretty cool. Well, sadly, uh, y- you won't be able to get these in the States right now. It is a UK exclusive at this point. Um, and so we are going to have to wait. And uh, but, uh, you know, just like the Eagle Moss ships, I can see these coming to the States. I don't know why they wouldn't want to capitalize on that market, especially here at the 50th anniversary. But for any Star Trek fans, any comic book Star Trek fans, this is going to be, I think, a great collection. I just I'm, I'm looking at some of the different things that they've done over the the years that we be getting and we're talking about you know uh the windstorm comics that we've talked a little bit about here on the the network which are hard to get a hold of these days the malibu comics so i mean they're going to be doing some great stuff and um each book contains a number of you know the collected comics and a bonus reprint from one of the comic archives classic stories so they're really making this special so uh, I am a little bit sad in some ways that this isn't here in the States, but man, uh, you know, this kind of stuff, it's like, I got to think about the money and the space and all that stuff, but this is awesome. So mm-hmm. I know plenty of people are going to want to see this. I'll put the, sh- the link in the show notes and, um, yeah, cool stuff. Hey, d- does this mean that the Voyager comic Avalon Rising might get reprinted? Oh, please, God, yes. Because that would be please. sweet. <laughs> it would. It would It would be the sweetest thing to ever happen. Uh, and, and in fact, and Dan, I really do. I want to encourage everybody to go back into the Literary Treks archives and check out the episode that we did about the Avalon Rising comics, the Voyager comics. In fact, it was the first time that uh, we had Tristan uh, Riddell on the show, which was a lot of fun. I mean, I I don't remember. Uh, there's there's hardly been a time that we have laughed more on the show. But go back and check out Literary Trek 17, all the way way back. And that show is called. And I love that this was my title. <laughs> Tuvok's Remedial School for Badasses. So That is the uh, best you, title ever. <laughs> it I could never top it. So go back there and check that out. It you'll you'll thank us. That I was promise. a long time ago and I remember that so vividly, that episode, because <laughs> it was that good. It's kind of funny actually when you said seventeen. I was like, Really? Seventeen? Wow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Seventeen. It's been a long it's been a long road getting <laughs> from there to here. Uh but let's not sing. Let's hit the uh, New Visions comic, because we got a brand new New Visions comic, number 11. And um, wow, this one is really interesting because it actually makes use of some things that um, some kind of storylines that they've actually used in the New Frontier series, uh, which having uh, the child of a demigod. And I really thought that this comic, it felt like, you know, Star Trek EU and it felt like a wonderful extension of a Star Trek episode. I This one was fantastic, I thought. Yeah, I, I enjoyed this one. I, I think these are much stronger when they build upon the stories we already have, uh, you know, without rehashing stuff, but, you know, kind of building on and extending a lot of the, the really, the stuff that made the original series really interesting. Uh, not not to say that I don't enjoy a lot of the original stories that John Burns come up with in this series, but this one I felt just really tied into the original series episode and made really good use of the photocomic format 
uh, because it just it felt like an extension of that episode. And, you know, in this one case, I think that format really, really served the story. Yeah, it really did feel like a part two of an episode. Uh, and all the images looked, you know, and the panels looked really well done. I mean, they looked like they were pulled from an actual episode. There was a few in there that you can notice there was some manipulation going on. But for the most part, all the panels looked like it was just pulled straight from the episode. It was just a continuation from the original series. I really enjoyed it. Um, I mean, it wasn't the best Star Trek uh, story, but it it fits and feels like original series episode from the 60s mm-hmm. well and and what i like about it is that fact that dan we've we've talked so much about uh, these comics you know and, and things we don't like but i really want to praise here like we were talking about the page layout and the uh, picture manipulation that they are doing here it never pulls you out of the comic um, i think there's only one time where i noticed and it's when spock is in the vision uh that are are the kind of like i don't know wherever karen palamas was uh he's there and i could tell that there are some places where they should have cleaned up spock a little bit Mm -hmm. because he looks kind of photoshopped in instead of like he's really part of the scene but otherwise i'm i'm really pleased with the way that this turned out and the way the story just kind of fits with what we know of tos and to me, that's what makes this comic successful. You know, when when they do that and they don't pull you out of the story because of the format, to me, it's a huge win. So mm. this is actually one of my, I think, um, more enjoyed stories and just more enjoyed reading experiences in this format. And so I'd, I'd give it high marks. I definitely think it's worth picking up, especially since, like we said, it, it picks up on an original series episode and actually continues the story on and creates an uh, interesting through line for those characters and answers a question of why we never saw Karen Palamas again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's one of those instances where, to me, the stories in this series that have been good have been despite the format. And this one's yeah. the, you know, I, w- I would have to say the first one that I think is good partially because of the format, which, uh, you know, is, is a definite point in its corner for me. Well, I guess that's good that they're at number 11 and they're maybe finally hitting their stride. (laughs) Let's hope that continues. And then we also got, I mean, huge comic day for uh, Star Trek comics this week, but um, Manifest Destiny 2 and kind of wondering what you guys thought of that, especially as we're uh, starting to dig in a little bit more of this series as, well, I'm realizing that... Manifest Destiny has nothing to do with the Enterprise. It has more to do with, I think, the Klingon characters that we're meeting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm actually really curious to see what you guys think of this one, too, because uh, I, I don't know. I, I have kind of mixed feelings about this, because coming off of the, the really high of the last one, this one feels... I, I hate the word filler, I, and, and it's it's not really filler. It's a lot of action scenes kind of strung together, but I don't feel like the story's really advanced all that much. Um, until the very end, we kind of get some of the stuff with McCoy and the Klingons on the planet, and we get some movement there. But, you know, as, as visual as a comic is, and, you know, it lends itself to this kind of action thing, I, I'm always looking for more out of a story than that. And, you know, it was pretty cool having them battle on the hull like that and that kind of thing, but I, I just wanted a little bit more. and. You know, I'm I'm kind of reserving judgment until we get further in the story because I'm I'm not really sure how I feel about this one yet. Uh, what do you guys think there, Dan? You are not alone. I feel exactly the same way. I felt like, and you're right. I don't like to say it's filler, but it was very much the action of this. Probably, uh, well, we know it's 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 a four issue series, but if this was like a movie, we reached the the section of the movie where it's all action. This is the action scene. And the first had a lot of great development, a lot of great story to it. But um, I think this works better if you read it right after you read one, if it's in one sitting. I think it plays better that way. If you're reading it days later or on its own, there really isn't a whole lot to it. But the action on the hall of the Enterprise that takes place actually was 
quite interesting. I hadn't seen anything quite like this in Star Trek, so it it kept my interest going that I want to read to see what happens in the next issue. So I'm, I'm really buying into this series. I like what you said there, Bruce. I do think that this, at least right now, it does seem like if this was in a graphic novel, you know, and you were just being able to go straight to the next page, kind of like you do with Netflix, you know, you go right to the next episode, it would actually flow better. Um, so I could definitely see that happening because, you know, it's it's just something um, that you guys are both exactly right. This does kind of have a fillery feel to it. And yet, at the same time, if we read all the issues together, it might feel like there's more flow than we're giving it credit for. But that's just because we don't know what's coming next. We've only known what's coming behind us. And what was behind us was actually such a great setup. You know, Dan, we talk about this a lot. It is hard when you're writing these stories and they're coming out like this. You know, um, the great thing about picking up, like, say, one of the new novels is you have the entire story right there, unless Mm -hmm. it's a trilogy or something. Uh, these comics, you know, we're picking up a third or a fourth or half a story and that's where it can get tough. So yeah, I honestly, I, I completely agree with you guys. So I, I think you're both right on and, uh, I'm still looking forward to see what happens in this, this storyline, but I'm hoping that it continues to be strong. Actually, what I really am looking forward to is reading more of that Spock series, which, seems to have fallen off and I don't know where it is right now. So hmm. hopefully that comes back because that storyline was rocking. Yeah. And then Looking forward we to that. cut in with manifest destiny. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I was, <laughs> I was actually kind of look, really looking forward to continuing that one. I'm kind of surprised that, that we haven't gotten that one yet, but um, yeah, this, this one, I just, I, I hesitate to say anything negative about it because I'm not, I'm not not enjoying it, but I just, you know, I wanted more from it. You know, my expectations might have been a bit too high, I guess. Well, before we get into our feature, uh, why don't I tell you a little bit about where you can find Literary Treks? Uh, we're, of course, on iTunes. Uh, you can get you can find us wherever you get any of your podcasts. And, of course, Literary Treks is just one of the many podcasts here on Trek FM. We have shows covering all corners of the Star Trek universe and beyond. If you are an Apple user, please be sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a star rating and a review. This really helps us rise up in the search results on iTunes, and especially during this, the 50th anniversary of Star Trek, makes it possible for more Star Trek fans to find all of the podcasts. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link there as well. If you'd like to get into contact with us, we have a form on the website at trek.fm contact. You can leave us a voicemail there as well. Just look in the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com trekfm. We're on Twitter at trekfm and on Facebook at facebook.com trekfm. We also have the Babel Conference, which is our listeners-only group. Just type the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar. And of course, special for Literary Treks, we have a Goodreads group. You can find us on Goodreads, just search Literary Treks. We have bookshelves there with all of our previously covered books, as well as what we're currently reading, so you can keep up to date on what's coming up for future future episodes. And of course, there are always great conversations happening about all the books and comics. Well, Dan, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, Bruce, I'm, I'm so glad that we're all here uh, to talk about what we're going to talk about tonight, because I, I really... Really enjoy uh, the fact that we have had so many crossovers in the last few years with the comics and getting the opportunity to see how Star Trek melds with with other things. And we are going to dive into Star Trek Legion of Superheroes Volume 1. And I got to start right away for both you guys. Um, Is there any familiarity out there with the Legion of Superheroes before you got into this comic. I really feel like a lot of these crossover episodes have revealed uh, that my nerd cred is severely lacking. (laughs) And I have to say, I had no uh, familiarity with Legion of Superheroes whatsoever. I think in the early pages, they mentioned fighting Darkseid, and 
I was thinking, oh, I kind of know who he is. But that's about it. That's kind of where I am on the scale here. What about you, Bruce? Well, I'm a little bit ahead of Dan, but not by a whole lot. I bought some issues of Legion of Superheroes back way back in the days when I was a kid. I remember like Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes and Supergirl and the Legion of Superheroes. And then I've also seen some of the animated series that came out uh, some years ago. I didn't watch the whole series, but I occasionally, occasionally would watch that with my daughter because she was really into it. So I had a... I, I'm somewhat familiar with Legion of Superheroes, um, and plus they were in an episode of Smallville. I remember that too. So yeah. that's about the extent for me. I have enough of a familiarity with them to to get the comic. You know, um, I I know that you know uh, for them they had Superboy and or Superman when he was younger. He would come and visit them. They they would bring him to the 31st century and have adventures there, and then he would go back. Um, and they all wore rings, the, the Legion of Superhero rings and everything. And so um, I, I knew some of the roster, like Saturn Girl or Brainiac or, you know, some of these characters. So um, I was comfortable enough coming in. And, you know, I have to say that for the most part, I don't know about you guys, but I do feel like they give you enough of a sense of who everybody is and in fact, they even give you a nice panel at the very first part of the comic where they let you know who everyone is and kind of, you know, especially with, you know, the superheroes, what their powers are. So, you know, I like that, that they're not just assuming that you know who the characters are. They're kind of letting you in on the inside baseball. Okay, this is what Brainiac's powers are. You know, this is what, you know, Shadow Lass's powers are or uh, Chameleon Boy or, you know, anybody that um, Lightning Lad, which I think I'm going to start calling Bruce. Um, so, you know, I, I think I, I, that's one of the things that I, I really appreciated because even if you have no familiarity, I feel like they, they try to do what they can to really set up uh, the comic so that you'll enjoy it. Yeah, I, I did find myself uh, frequently, at least in the first little bit here, uh, referring back to that first page. <laughs> okay, who is this one again? Oh, okay, okay, he does that. All right. So yeah, I, I really did appreciate that. And I, I I feel like that's something that's, you know, really needed for a lot of these crossover stories. If you don't know the characters at all, uh, chances are, you know, what what they're trying to do with a lot of these crossovers is bring in the audience from, you know, one side or the other to enjoy something in a different universe and hopefully keep buying it after that. So, you know, it's really in their best interests to make it easy to get on board and, and really uh, shepherd a new um, fan, hopefully, into this world that uh, other people may be really familiar with. Well, and being Star Trek fans... We don't necessarily all are familiar with the Legion of Superheroes, so we may want to refer to see what, like Dan said, what, what powers they have and, and, and who is this again. It's hard for me to imagine somebody who follows Legion of Superheroes and not Star Trek going, now, let me look in the front here. Who's this <laughs> Captain Kirk guy again? What does he do? Oh, and this guy, uh, Chekhov. Okay, he's the navigator. That's good to know. Like, to me, you you don't have to know so much about Star Trek because they don't all the different Star Trek characters don't have powers, but you do want to know, well, what does Shadow Last do? And, and what is Saturn Girl's thing? We don't have that with, with the Star Trek characters because they're all just human, except for that one guy with the pointed ears. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it's kind of one of those things that everyone knows who Spock is. <laughs> so, Dan, we've specifically, you know, talked about a few of these crossovers now and, you know, bridging the different universes that we have seen. How do you feel like uh, this one... Uh, does the job you know does this one feel like kind of a natural fit or does it feel more like again for you and me uh, the planet of the apes one where it just felt very forced uh, where is this one landing for you as you got a chance to kind of read through this first volume well you know it's kind of interesting as i was reading this it was occurring to me that a lot of these different crossovers we've done uh have approached things very differently. So Planet of the Apes, they brought the Star Trek crew into the Planet of the Apes world. Uh, the Green Lantern one felt more like they brought the Green Lantern people into the Star Trek world. This one, they've kind of done something different again, which is brought both of these groups together into this parallel world, and they both kind of have to confront it uh, 
as something weird and different which i thought was a really interesting choice because it kind of puts them on evil uh, on even footing and uh, really has them kind of more of a uh, you know equality between them and and encountering this thing as both of them are in unfamiliar territory uh, i thought it worked really well as kind of an introduction to both sides and you know where does it stand i i personally enjoyed i'd say the doctor who one was the best and green lantern was pretty good this one i'd put somewhere right on the level of green lantern maybe not quite as good as that one uh but of course as i'm sure you know everyone knows miles ahead of the planet of the apes one well it's because of your guys review of the planet of the apes one that i haven't read it yet <laughs> but i do plan to read it sometime I'm not a big fan of crossovers with Star Trek. I have bought as much of the crossovers that are out there, except for the very, very early issues of Star Trek, the original series with the X-Men comic, which has not been reprinted or put out electronically as far as I know. I have read the X-Men Next Generation crossover novel years ago, and I mean, I it, it was fine, but I just am not a big fan of Star Trek crossing over with other franchises. I don't know why. That's just me. I'm just not into that. That being said, that doesn't mean I won't read it, and it can be a fun thing. So I bought this issue, these six issues when they first came out and never touched them. I just bought them, and they just sat there. And so when this came up for this episode, this was my chance to read them, and surprisingly, I enjoyed it. So I can't compare it to the others because I haven't read them all yet, uh, but um, it, it worked better than I thought it would. Well, I think one of the things, you know, that I was thinking of when I was going through the list, you know, combining Trek characters with something else, you, you need to, to combine it, I think, with something that uh, has the ability to have built in the reasons for a crossover, you know? And so when you're talking about like Doctor Who or Green Lantern or, you know, the Legion of Superheroes here, they kind of have built-in reasons for there to be a crossover accidentally. You know, um, they already do parallel universes and they already both do time travel, you know? So both of those things, I feel like, it's organic, you know, it feels seamless to accidentally have a mistake like this happen. I mean, when we're talking about created universes, um, there's no reason that, uh, you know, heck, you could have Back to the Future accidentally crossover with, uh, you know, there's your idea, there's the next one, Back to the Future with Star Trek. Um, you know, I, I mean, it, because you already have built in the reasons for the crossover, you know, you're not having to make up some absurd reason or like I felt like the Planet of the Apes, which, you know, it it didn't really have a reason. They had to kind of create a reason almost out of nothing, whereas this just feels organic. And I like that. And it makes it fun because in my headcanon, I can... It, I, I don't see why this couldn't happen, you know? Yeah, but how would you feel if they announced they were going to make a Star Trek Legions of Superheroes movie? Would that be different for you, or would you be excited about that? I think that's a different medium. I think the comic medium allows you to have this kind of fun, I think, because we're not accepting this as, like, really necessarily part of the Star Trek canon. It's kind of like a Elseworld story uh, in comics, uh, like that you'd get with like a Superman or a Batman. I mean, like Kingdom Come is a great Elseworld story. It's not in the pantheon of DC canon, but it is a story that everybody loves, you know? Like, but we don't think of it as like, oh, well, that's where all the superheroes end up, you know? Well, maybe that's so, what the issue is I have with crossovers, because even if I'm reading a comic or a novel, I know it's not official canon, but... I like to read it as if it, it really could be. It could add to canon. And when I read these, I'm not coming in with that impression. So it's not as it's not something I'm as interested in, but you're right. I have to come into this as this is a fun thing. This is an elsewhere thing. And I did that when I read this. And I think that's why accepting it in that manner, I enjoyed it more than I thought. It's almost like the stakes are lower. Like you can't I I would 
I feel like I can't get as invested in these stories as I do in the other ones. Um, and yeah, part of enjoying these is just for me kind of having to overcome that a little bit and just go, oh, okay, it's, it's just for fun kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think the investment kind of disappears a little bit there for me. Although I, I do have to say, I, I really do feel like with this one specifically, this story felt so natural with the flow of Star Trek that it did feel like something that could have happened in canon. You know, that to me, I just, I felt like this, there wasn't anything so outrageous that it didn't feel natural. And what was great about it is the way in which, you know, they both end up in this parallel universe for each of their own universes. And yet what they found is that parts of their universes have combined to create this ultimate evil universe that they're in. And I kind of liked that, that they're, you know, because when you get to this planet that they're on, you have some of the races from Star Trek and you have some of the races from Legion of Superheroes combined together. You know, I, I just, it, to me, it was like they really sat down and thought about, okay, how do we combine these two and make it feel as quote-unquote realistic as, as possible? And I, to me, um, I was actually, because I wasn't expecting this, was I actually kind of blown away by how well I think it actually works. It almost feels to me like, and, and I'm sure this is what they do, is they kind of sit down and see what uh, what the various properties they're trying to cross over, what the two properties have in common, and and really try and craft a story from that. And it really feels like that's what was done here. So, you know, they sat down and brainstormed and said, okay, alternate universes, time travel, these are both things, you know, we can kind of build a story out of that. And uh, again, not to just keep, you know, bashing it, but, you know, I feel like that was not done for Planet of the Apes, for example. And, you know, there was just no real hook to, to get those two together. But this one, yeah, like you say, they've, they've got some things in common and out, the outgrowth of that was this story. And I'm with you, Matt. It worked because it felt like it could be a legitimate Star Trek story. And that's why I enjoyed it. At the same time, I actually read through it twice because I went into, I went into it reading it as a Star Trek fan and it worked for me as a Star Trek fan. And then I thought, well, okay, what if I go back and I read this again? Having read Legion of Superheroes comics in the past, what if I approach this as a Legion's fan? Would that work for me? And it did in that manner too. So it really covers both parts of it. It works well for both universes. And there is a lot of similarities between the two that I never really thought about before. And that's even pointed out. Uh, between the characters themselves, pointing out the similarities between their universes and their missions and, and how their their universes are set up to work as governments, as united planets and federations of planets. And so it, even if the Legion of Superheroes didn't exist as a separate franchise, this would work as a Star Trek story with maybe these characters from another universe. My only problem I have with that is that the Star Trek characters never question who these people are, meaning why do they have these special powers? How is that possible? And that's the thing I look for in Star Trek. When you, when you meet new beings, especially if they can fly and they can shoot things out of their hands or whatever, there's question to that. There's, there's, there's this chance for discovery to, to find out more about their race and, and, and where they're from. And, and that part was missing. And I know that the comic doesn't give us time to do that. We have to get right to the story. But that part I would have liked to have seen if there was maybe just one more issue that could add to that. But um, it works. It works as a Star Trek story. Well, and that is one thing that I thought was interesting about the comic is the sense that the moment that they do realize that they're both from alternate universes... It's kind of like not a question. That is the answer to the question. You have these powers because you're not from our universe. You're like from a completely different universe that's vibrating on a different plane. So it has different rules. And therefore, having people that fly or a woman who can create really big shadows or, uh, you know, lightning lad, not you, Bruce, but <laughs> in the comic, uh, you know, it's it's just something that, I felt like they that was their quick way of being able to answer. So, you, like you said, you don't, you just don't have that much time. So, 
what did you guys think about the immortal issues that we end up with um, and the revelation of who this villain is on either side from Star Trek and from DC Comics and who they decided to combine? What did you guys think? Um, I thought it was pretty cool. I, I, I can really only speak to uh, the revelation that it's Flint <laughs> because I have to say that just the kind of most underwhelming part of the comic for me, and it's my own failing, it's not the fault of the comic, was, you know, Vandal Savage. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Who's see, that? Dan, if you were watching <laughs> Legends of Tomorrow, you'd know who Vandal Savage is. Oh, see, yeah, and I need to do that. And I haven't. Again, my geek cred is just getting torn to shreds here. Um, but yeah, and then Flint, I was like, kind of raised a brow. Oh, okay, cool. You know, I like that. So I thought we found thought... the episode where Dan hands in his geek card. <laughs> <laughs> I have a shredder. We can use that. I, I think you know. There's there's two little tiny pieces of it left. It's hardly worth shredding at this point. <laughs> It's being held together by tape. I'm sorry. You have a huge geek card if you during if you're doing a Star Trek podcast, you have a huge geek card. So you you pass Dan, so don't worry about it. Okay, fair enough. I'll take it. <laughs> but yeah, no, it was it was pretty neat. I I I've always liked the character of Flint and especially, you know, they've been using him uh in the novels uh both in the enterprise era and you know in the in the tng era with uh data and his stories recently uh so you know anytime they have his character it's pretty cool it's an interesting take on him uh that you know if you live this long you know you would amass that kind of power or have the desire for it i, I like kind of some of the things that explores with his character there because that makes sense you know that somebody could be you know, who's immortal and has all this power could be corrupted into doing something like this. Yeah, it could. And the the part, the reveal of the character, I had a total opposite reaction, Dan, because I do watch Legends of Tomorrow, and this was the favorite part of the series for me. When that reveal came, that he was both of these characters, Flint and... Uh, and uh, uh, Savage. What's his first name? Uh, Vandal Savage. When that came up, I was like, I literally said out loud, no way. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Like that just like sold me right there. I'm, that's when the fun kicked in for me. I was like, I love how they saw these two immortal characters from these two franchises and put them together. And again, it was another parallel how there's so many similarities between these two universes, yet they're One's a superhero franchise and the other one's more of a, a sci-fi franchise. And it there really is a lot in common with the two. And it makes me in some ways want to go back and read some Legends of Superheroes. Or Legion of Superheroes, I should say. Yeah, this is... I'm, I'm right there with you, Bruce. Uh, knowing uh, Vandal Savage from the comics, they've been actually recently reusing him and uh, the Superman run, the story that they've been doing with him. And uh, spoiler alert for DC Comics recently, they, he had been the one leeching Superman's powers and, uh, you know, just really fantastic. And, and of course, he's in... Legend of Tomorrow, the show, which I love. My wife and I enjoy watching all of those DC shows on the CW. And so this was a great mixture of Flint from Requiem for Methuselah and, of course, Vandal Savage. And again, I, I just this is where I see them having sat down and thought very long and hard. How do we combine these two universes and what are the best characters to use from each of the universes to really make something that makes sense and that's where that kind of combination where both of their parallel universes create another parallel universe where both are combined to me was just genius it's it's just what makes it work and that's really uh really good to hear uh from you guys that 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 really worked because it's one of those things that like the reaction of the characters on the page um, without knowing this universe the way uh, you guys do, 
I wasn't sure if that was justified. And I was like, uh oh, I hope this wasn't a misstep. But, you know, it's really good to hear that it's not and, and that that was as big a reveal as it looked like it was supposed to be. And to all the listeners out there, I do have to say uh, Legends of Tomorrow is on my PVR. I just I just haven't gotten to it yet. I promise I will watch it. <laughs> <laughs> it's because you want to binge watch it. That's what it is. You want to exactly. have them all together and watch it spend a whole weekend. You're just planning ahead. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I can understand that reveal doesn't mean much to you. For his geek cred back. <laughs> right. But I was I was going to say that the the reveal I can see wouldn't be that much to you, Dan. If you don't know who Vandal Savage is, it would be the same thing as if these characters are like, oh my gosh, look, it's Bob, <laughs> and you're like okay, who's Bob? Like, it doesn't mean anything. And so just like, wah, wah, wah. Wait, wait, wait. You don't know what about Bob? What, what, what about Bob? <laughs> I don't know. But apparently he's a thing. And Bruce wants... Uh, never mind that. <laughs> All right, Cosmic Boy, settle down. I'm sorry, Lightning Lad. Okay, so... Trapped in a purple orb, we find out that there's somebody else from the Star Trek universe that we know very well. And what did you think about that reveal? I mean, in fact, I, I kind of, I just kind of love the reveal of the cue in the bottle. <laughs> that one, I do have to say, uh, was a great reveal because, I mean, you know, obviously I'm a huge Trek nerd, and you know, yeah, they brought in Q. I did. There was one moment before before they revealed who he was i was like that couldn't be q could it and then i kind of dismissed it like oh no it's tos they can't yeah q wouldn't be in there and oh no it is q and i thought that was a really cool reveal uh because who doesn't love a little q and imagining john delancey's voice in his head i mean come on yeah but i didn't feel like the characterization of q really it didn't sit well for me it didn't seem like cute uh, and even the art didn't look like John Delancey, mm. at least until the last couple pages, I thought it did. Uh, and not that I have expect that it has to look exactly like the actors, but it just, he didn't, he just didn't sound like Q. It, I had a hard time hearing Q when I was reading the page. Um, and the fact that we got a big reveal earlier to have another reveal is for me, it was just like, oh, great, here we go. We got another reveal. How many more surprises are we going to bring? So it didn't work as well for me as the first reveal of our main villain, but it it was a great tie-in to have Q come in at the end. It's like, okay, that's why all this is happening. Q in the TOS, legions of superheroes crossover. How much better can this get? I just wasn't sure if, like, you know, Q in the bottle, if, you know, like, you had to rub them the right way to get them out, you know, like <laughs> Christina Aguilera. I just, uh, that's a way back reference there. I don't know if anybody's going to get that uh, from back in the day uh, when I was in high school, like way early high school. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I, I'm kind of with have you. didn't cars that, back then. No, not even cars. Riding your uh, Stegosaurus you know, to school, man. Exactly. <laughs> uh, in the snow, uphill both ways it was tough <laughs> um but i i'm right with there with you with the idea that the q did feel a little off and yet i thought it was interesting to have q be the one that as we the originally known vander stone this this caveman had found some way to trick q into serving him and keeping him in this bubble and I thought that was pretty fascinating because it just let you know this Vander dude, if he can outsmart Q, that makes him serious business. And so then watching these characters find a way to outsmart him let you just know again how smart a uh, you know Spock is and some of these legion of superheroes characters. And so I just really like that. Now. Talking about characterization, how do you feel like these characters did? Um, you know, what did you end up thinking about uh, the way that, you know, uh, our Star Trek characters were characterized and uh, maybe even um, their interactions with the Legion of Superheroes? Uh, for the Star Trek guys, you know, for the most part, they were pretty good. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, you kind of made a note here and I, I really have to agree with it. Kirk uh, <laughs> cut really obnoxious a couple times in this story and i just was kind of shaking my head yeah he's always been a ladies man he's always been a charmer 
but he's never been like you know out and out lecherous and and kind of slimy around women and there were a couple of moments in this book where they just they went a little bit far on him in that way uh but for the most part you know i think a lot of the uh the tone of the characters was pretty good for me you know spock i feel like he's pretty easy to write but uh you know they they had his voice down fairly well here uh no complaints there and of course i i can't really speak to the legion of superheroes because again i know nothing <laughs> i'm like Jon snow i know nothing i know nothing <laughs> nothing oh Jon snow uh, so I thought the characterizations were right on. Uh, I think when we get halfway through the issues, like when we're around issues three, four or so, we start to see interaction between, uh, the two groups and there's some humor in there that I like. Yeah. You know, Kirk is kind of a bit of a horn dog, but sometimes I like that, especially, you know, when he's never seen a woman that shade of blue before. I mean, just little <laughs> comments like that. I thought, oh, okay, that's, that's, that's humorous. Uh, and then there were little uh, things in there, like Easter eggs, like Yohora making a comment, one of the, uh, when they were being attacked by all the different races, and one of them was a Orion woman. She says, oh, that woman reminds me of someone I was roommates with back at the Academy. Yeah, <laughs> that was nice. I liked you know, a lot of those little references. That was pretty cool. Yeah, and uh, Cosmic Boy even, uh, Chekhov's talking about, you know, oh, Russia, invented in Russian this, Russia, and Cosmic Boy's like, wow, our universes really are different. We come from different timelines. Like, yeah, <laughs> that was great. <laughs> well, and then they, uh, there's this this great thing, you know, they split up the different groups and they have to go do different things. So um, one of the groups goes back in time uh, to try and, to get to the closest to the when this kind of infection happened that created this alternate, you know, universe in the first place. And the other ones uh, try and, and, and stay and figure out all they can about this uh, emperor character that they're they're up against. And I love Spock doing his Spock thing and people getting pissed at it. And it's not just Dr. McCoy, but they're always like, well, I'm so glad you find this fascinating, you know, like <laughs> just making fun of the fact that Spock talks out loud to himself. And somebody actually even says to him, do you just say these things out loud because you like hearing yourself talk? <laughs> Or like it just I, I liked the interaction was was really nice between the different crews. And, and again, the only thing that I don't like is, yeah, Kurt coming off as such a ridiculous horn dog with, uh, you know, Shadow Lass was it was I, it kind of made me mad. I was like, come on. Kirk is not that character. Mm -hmm. That is that is not who Kirk is. And if that's how you're writing him, that you don't know Kirk. It, it's kind of when Chris Pine gets too much into that in the new movies. It, it grates on me. Like, I, I do like the new movies, but there's a couple moments where, you know, someone walks by and he's like, oh, ladies. And I'm just like, oh, okay, no, that's not Kirk. Stop it. That's, that's the exact scene I thought of when I read it. Mm-hmm. Well, in that one, it at least it makes more sense because it's a guy who grew up without a dad, and I mean he has a different upbringing than our Kirk. So his his tendencies that we saw in the in the original series are a little bit accentuated in that area because he hasn't been as nurtured, and he hasn't been shown as much what it means to be a good man because nobody's really done that for him until Pike comes around, and is you know by that point it's almost too late, you know so. Uh, that made a little bit more sense to me in that universe. But here, it's like, this is our classic Kirk, and he doesn't go around coming on to women like this. Mm -hmm. So, bad, bad call. Yeah, the fact that it's Shatner's Kirk uh, in the book is, yeah, it's it's even more frustrating to me because he was definitely never quite this bad. But yeah, no, for sure. In my head canon, he had a few drinks before they got into <laughs> He this. must have, yeah. <laughs> he must have. Um, well, and I mean, even just think about the gamesters of Triskelion. You know, Kirk is using that relationship to try and get information and that kind of stuff. So, I mean, it's like, it's part of the story, and he's trying to get somewhere. That it's not like he's just trying to get laid, whereas here, it really just seems like he's trying to get laid by this blue-skinned lass. Uh, and so that just bothers me big time uh, because again, that's, that's not Kirk. So, 
what did you and the guys, I mean, we've got the art and everything else. Anything else about uh, the the overall comic that uh, kind of jumped out at you as you were reading it? One thing, you know, kind of talking about the art, the artwork a lot of times with the characters really kind of bugged me. They just, yeah, it, it, the characters, especially Kirk, and I know he's kind of got a very generic face and a lot of artists have talked about how hard he is to capture but i i felt like a lot of frames in this comic just really did not look like the characters they were trying to portray um and for me the one thing that jumped out about this comic was um you know starting to read it i wasn't really sure what kind of tone it was trying to take uh so i started reading it in kind of a very serious mindset like oh you know okay okay this is high stakes this is serious and then I don't think it was quite until near the end and we see that room full of all of the time machines that he's collected that it really occurred to me that, okay, no, this is just a fun story. I need to let let go and, and just enjoy it. Um, I don't know if you guys caught exactly how many different time machines were referenced in there. Like earlier, we talked about a Back to the Future crossover. We get it here. The DeLorean is parked in that room. Um, and then, you know, under the balcony, there's, I think it's some kind of hot tub time machine. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I saw <laughs> that. It. That was awesome. I thought that was so good. I laughed out loud. I took a screen capture of that uh, of that panel, and, and uh, I love it. I thought that was great. <laughs> Yeah, and there's even the TARDIS and and, uh, yeah. and Stargate and even Lazarus ship from the original series. There's a bunch yeah. of things in there. And Bill H2 and Ted's uh, phone booth. That's <laughs> cool, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but for me, like, yeah, the tone, I just, you know, it, it didn't establish itself as having that tone early enough for me to realize, oh, okay, I just need to kind of uh, relax into this story and have a bit of fun. Um, so the tone for me felt a little off at times until I finally caught on that. Now, nah, okay, I shouldn't take this as seriously as I am. <laughs> yeah, it started off serious like that, and then it seemed to take more tongue-in-cheek later, and then go back to Syria. It, it was kind of a little uneven at at times. So, yeah, you just had to then, exactly what you did, Dan, just say, okay, this is just for fun. This is... Again, this is not canon or anything. Let's just enjoy the story for what it is. And, I mean, I think it's, it still works, and it's um, perfect for this medium. And the artwork, for me, yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. I, at times it looked good. Other times it looked a little off. There were, I, I do recall there were times where I thought it was Kirk talking, and then I realized, oh, wait, I think that's Chekhov, and vice versa. Um, you know, our crew needs to have different color shirts, more, even more, so we can tell them apart more often. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the artwork, I, I guess for me, I'm thinking that the Legion of Superheroes artwork is better than Star Trek, but I'm from, more familiar with Star Trek. And those characters are actually based off of real human actors, where Legion of Superheroes is based off of comic book characters. Yeah, um, I'm with you guys. I think uh, for the Trek characters, the ones that really looked like their character, I feel like the only one was really, every once in a while, Spock and then McCoy kind of felt more like McCoy, but everybody else feels off. Mm. Uh, all the, the Legion of Superhero characters, I felt like, looked pretty right on. I mean, in, in line with what I've seen before. Uh, gotta say, good thing that Kirk did not see the hot tub time machine. So who knows who we wanted to try that out with. Um, so yeah, it, it's that part is where I, I think the, the artwork itself was where things weren't as successful sometimes. And it really was just the character work. Other than that, everything else looked great. I thought, you know, the, the panels were really well laid out. They had some really great and really cool panel layouts. And, it was just the Trek characters and, and the work there that didn't always ring true. But other than that, I didn't really have a problem with it. So uh, all in all, I thought that was pretty good. Um, where do you guys come down, uh, you know, rating-wise? What, what do you think, where are you putting this one? You know, that was kind of a, a bit of a tough question for me because of, you know, my aforementioned many times unfamiliarity with the Legion of Superheroes. Uh, but, you know, it was written in such a way that I was able to get into it and I was able to kind of appreciate these characters and you know the unevenness kind of graded on me 
until I was finally kind of, like I said, able to relax into the story and just, you know, appreciate it for, uh, you know, the kind of lighter fare that it seemed to want to be towards the end. Um, I'd have to say, I, I, I don't know that this is something that I would have gone out and read, uh, had we not done it on the show here. Uh, and when all said and done, I think I would have to give it probably about a 3.5, um, hot tub time machines out of five. Cause I just love saying hot tub time machine. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's, it, the funny part about this is I'm actually sitting in a hot tub as we record the show. <laughs> so wondering That's what that, what that sound is. <laughs> uh, so, again, not wanting to necessarily read crossover comics, and this has been sitting here for the last few years, went into this, and I was surprised how much I enjoyed it and how well it worked. It's not perfect, but if you're going to write a crossover with Star Trek and Legion of Superheroes, I don't know if you could do much better than this. And so that being said, I will give it four out of five time bubbles. Nice. I like that. I think that's that's awesome. Uh, I Right there with you, Bruce. Uh, to me, this one works like gangbusters for the most part. And it's the characterization that brings it down a star for me. Uh, it brings it down a, a whole TARDIS. So this is four out of five TARDISes for me. I, I think that this is just way more fun than I experienced, uh, than I expected. And I'm, I'm really glad that uh, we ended up reading it. I'm glad that I was like, oh, what comic should we read next? And I was like, oh, let's try this. Uh, because it, I, to me, I... It's really enjoyed it. So um, I I think that when it comes to crossovers, I put this right up there with uh, how much I enjoyed the Green Lantern series, um, which both of those are still under the Doctor Who series, but these are right there together. So I think it's fantastic. Well, that was kind of a fun one to discuss, uh, and especially, you know, having Bruce having you here you know, kind of have three people to bounce these uh, thoughts off of. I thought that was a lot of fun. You know, the one thing about these crossover comics is they are a lot of fun and there's something different that you don't normally get with Star Trek. Yeah, I have pruned fingers right now from sitting in the hot tub, so I'm going to have to get <laughs> out of here soon. But I did enjoy uh, talking through this comic and I'm glad it was suggested because I've been putting it off. There's other things I, I choose to read over it uh, before it. And so now I uh, got to read it. So that was great. You didn't accidentally just drop it in the hot tub, did you? Uh, yeah, actually I did. I'm going to have to go rescue it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, Bruce, why you go and uh, rescue those comics out of the uh, hot tub? Uh, hopefully, they're not too waterlogged. Uh, I just got to say, I'm really thankful that we get an opportunity to talk about uh, these comics and these books, interview authors here on Literature Checks because of our associate producers. Uh, you know, we got Ken Tripp, uh, Brandon Shea Matala, and of course, Bruce Gibson. Uh, and they've all, through Patreon, chosen Literature Checks to be the show that they want to say, hey, we want to make sure this comes to you each and every week. And now, Patreon is the place in which listeners can. And help support the network each and every week. Now, uh, we are a listener-supported network. It costs a lot of money for us to be able to bring so many different shows to you each and every week, and especially at the quality we do. I mean, we're talking, we get gigabytes and gigabytes and gigabytes of downloads. I mean, we're getting into, I think, the terabyte uh, range. It's just it's just insane how many people are starting to listen to Trek FM. We need your help just to make sure that the content keeps coming to you. So go to patreon.com slash Trek FM and you can see how you can help that our network each and every month uh, and make sure the content keeps coming to you each and every week. I really appreciate your support because without you, we just can't make this happen. Uh, guys, so much fun talking about the comics. Uh, Bruce, uh, before we uh, let you get out of here, hopefully you can unprune soon, uh, where can everybody find you online? Well, well, well you can find me. Well, well, uh, sorry. <laughs> I should wait till I get out of the water just to talk. Uh, okay. Uh, you can find me online 
on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. And I'm usually hanging out somewhere in the Babel Conference. And you can find some of my stuff on StarWarsReport.com. Now, Dan, when you're not trying to get uh, Shadow Lass's number, uh, where can we find you? <laughs> well, you know, I'll be tr- posting a lot of pictures on Instagram trying to impress her. My username there is Kurtrats47. It's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. I'm also on Twitter, at Kurtrats, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Reviews, And I have my website. Uh, that's at www.treklet.com, where I review Star Trek novels, both old and new. And, of course, I have a new YouTube channel, Kurtrats Productions. Just give that a search. I've got some Star Trek news that I'm doing every week, kind of trying out the YouTube video thing. And, of course, you can find me on the Babel Conference talking about all things Star Trek. And, uh, Matthew, when you're not trying to steal that really fancy blue TARDIS that uh, Flint's keeping in his room there, where can we find you? Well, you could find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. I also do that Instagrammy thing where I take pictures of like food and stuff, which people love. Uh, <laughs> you can find me on MRushing there. Uh, I'm also doing the orb here on the network with Chris Jones. We're talking exclusively about Deep Space Nine. I also do our general geek show, The 602 Club, where we talk about all the wonderful fandoms that we just love. But uh, don't fit with Inside Star Trek. So check that out. It's so much fun. We're doing so much stuff there. Uh, Comics, movies, uh, just all the things that we love outside of Star Trek fandom. Uh, You can also find me doing Aggressive Negotiations with John Mills, where we're talking about Star Wars each and every week. And you can find that on thenerdparty.com. And you can also find that on iTunes. And so... Guys, only one thing left to say. Thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. What do you call that light reading? To each his own, number one. <laughs>